The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Rapid Sales Accelerator. If you're ready to skyrocket your sales by 30% or more in just 90 days, then you need to claim your free training right now. You'll learn four words that will compel your prospects to trust you like they were children within the first three to five minutes of any conversation across any platform and any medium. You'll learn how to give your prospects objection amnesia to crush objections like I need to talk to my spouse or I need more time to think it over or it's too expensive. And finally, you'll get a free recorded audio training that will install unbelievable attitudes for success and wipe out any limiting beliefs. So if you'd like to claim your free training now, go to www.paulrossbook.com. Do it before your competition does it now. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack at sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on the Influencers Edge Show. All right, welcome to the Influencers Edge. I have to start today's episode by saying our guest today, Damon Cart, is a colleague of mine. He interviewed me on his show. We went at it for about two hours, two and a half, almost three hours. He edited it. Uh, Damon is a master of my discipline, neurolinguistic programming. He and I have some divergent views on what NLP is. We'll dive into that a little bit and what it's useful for and what it's not. Damon also has uh, an amazing wife. I am very jealous. <laughs> and uh, she's a real team member for you. So you're lucky, man. Let's read your official bio, which uh, we won't get through, I promise you. Okay. <laughs> By the way, Damon, where are you located? In Santa Cruz, California, where neurolinguistic programming was created. Indeed. Under, I heard that Bandler and Grinder were hugging a sequoia tree and something fell on their head and, and there they go. That's All right, so Damon, Damon is a coach, speaker, and the co-founder of the Self-Concept Research Group. Hmm. He's the world's leading expert, or so he says, in creating long-term internal transformation using the self-concept mode, TM, uh, not Transcendental Meditation, that stands for like trademark. Yeah. He is a master at helping teachers, therapists, coaches, high-performance trainers create lasting change for their students and clients at the identity level. Ooh, you know, there's some people in the world who say there's no such thing as an identity. The Buddhist and my meditation teacher, Shenzhen Young, I think we talked about Shenzhen, would say the identity is an illusion. I agree. That in fact, so that being the case, how can you change at the identity level? Let's start yeah. right there. You want to get into that? Uh, we'll we'll get into. Let me finish your biography. Right. Um, he's a master. Uh, we always said Damon empowers his clients to get clarity about what they want. He guides people transformation to the person who already 
has it. I don't know. I, I screenshot this wrong. So getting it is easier and faster. All right. Let's Basically, when you transform into the person who has the things you want, getting what you want becomes a lot easier and a lot faster. That's what okay. That let's point. let's talk about. I like the word transform. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this idea of identity and sure. this whole idea that people have a thing called an identity. Let me relate it to a story. When I was in therapy a long time ago, I was going through some personal troubles and this form of therapy didn't work for me at all. I said to her, what kind of therapy do you do? She said, psychodynamic. I said, what does that mean? She says, well, we just do what, what I feel like doing. I thought, okay. And then I said to her at some point, how do I know when we're finished? She said, when you run out of money, basically, oh, that phrase, that's basically what she really said. Hmm. So what do you mean by identity? So we have, first of all, I, I agree with your teacher, and I spent quite a bit of time in non-duality before I got into NLP. So that's the idea that, you know, there is no separation between you and pretty much everything else. And uh, I spent, like, I even have a teacher, you know, and it actually helped me when I was learning NLP, because uh, when I first started tra training in NLP, I could see everyone else struggling with this idea that, you know, their true selves uh, was not real. Their beliefs were not real. Like people really think that their beliefs are real and they take them as fact. And I had a uh, much easier time getting around that because what we realized is beliefs are not really real. They're not things and neither is your identity. Uh, in, in the sense of like anomalization, there's no thing called an identity. You are not a thing separate from everything else that's going on. But we still make generalizations, right? We still have beliefs. And your identity is a generalization. It's a generalization of many generalizations that I would refer to as qualities. That's what my um, mentor, Steve Andreas, referred to them as. So a quality being an aspect of who you are. Are you a, are you a generous person? Are you uh, stingy? Are you a happy person? Are you an unhappy person? Are you uh, a failure or a success? So I would call these qualities, generalizations about who you are. And when our generalizations about who we are align with our values, generalizations about experiences that are important to us, our self-esteem goes up. We get confidence. If we do this enough with enough qualities and enough values, we will experience meaning and purpose that comes from within. So anyway, to get back to the whole identity thing, it is nothing more than a generalization. What, what you believe you are based on many beliefs about who you are. And again, when that aligns with your values, you're, you have higher confidence, you have higher self-esteem, but when it doesn't, and you think you're a loser, you think you're unworthy, it's a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. You will act that out. And now many people say, so like, if you think you're a failure, you believe you are a failure. Well, let, let me, let me back up. If I believe I'm failing at my business because I'm in the wrong business, then I can switch businesses, problem solved, right? If I believe that I'm failing because I'm in the wrong market, I can switch to a different market, problem solved. But if I believe I'm a failure, it doesn't matter where I go, doesn't matter what business I, I start, doesn't matter what I do, I can't escape that. Now, some people say, well, why if you know that, why don't you just act differently, act out of alignment with your belief that you're a failure? That's where cognitive, cognitive dissonance kicks in. And if I act out of alignment with what I believe about myself, that is far scarier than being a loser, being a failure, because it is so uncomfortable to feel 
lost to feel like the world is a chaotic place and that I am uncertain about who I am. So I would rather the certainty about who I am, even if it's a limiting belief, like being a failure. And yes. I will align with that belief and it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. So what I do is I help people transform that belief by restructuring their experiences and recoding them. So I'm thinking about how this applies in the world of leadership and sales, because you coach people who are leaders. Absolutely. Right. So if someone has a whole group of people, he's responsible, say, for a sales team. Those people in the sales team are going to have different values, different self-concepts. But I know for a fact, having trained sales teams myself, that there's certain people who once they hit a certain level that they're competent at, something holds them back. They're making $500,000 a year. They're perfectly capable in terms of their actual set of competencies to do more. It's just something stops them. Something says, I just don't deserve to do better or I can't do better or why bother doing better. So if you're a leader of a sales team and you have certain people, maybe three people are pulling in 75% of the sales, how would you go about using what you know about those three people to help the rest of the team? Very good question. Uh, so first of all, there, there, for most people, there is a limit of how much money is motivating to them. You know, once they make a certain amount, they've got their bills paid, they're saving enough money, uh, which is fulfilling certain values for them. It's really hard to say, okay, well, I want to do more of this. And there, I, I actually think that there's an inner wisdom within us that knows when something is not going to be either fulfilling at all or more fulfilling if you do more of it. And we often refer to that as like inner resistance or something that's trying to self-sabotage you. And it's like, no, it's not true at all. All parts of you are valid. You have to figure out well, what is that part? What does it want for you? And integrate it into the rest of you. So I don't know that you can necessarily, I mean, yes, there's potential there. Well, let me put it another way. There's a guy named Destiny who's a streamer on YouTube and he argues politics a lot. And he uses this phrase or this quote for something completely different. And I, I took it. So I wanted to give him credit for it. He says, everybody can but not everybody will. Yeah. So you, yes, what you're saying is like those people have the potential, but they don't have the desire. And there's probably a good reason for that. There's probably just, there's not more fulfillment in making more money for that. That's interesting you should say that because it's so contrarian to what most people would say is they have some limiting belief about their deservingness or they have some block that says they can't learn to do this well some people do that's a different issue though all right okay so it could be one or it could be uh, the other it could be both it could be more yeah absolutely complex. i think 99 percent of the population suffers from self-worth issues and when we talk about self-concept and identity one of the best things you can do is come to that understanding that there is no such thing as an identity and go further that and say there's no way it can be measured its value cannot be measured because it doesn't it's, exist i want to push i want to not push back and give you a different perspective so this past weekend i did a podcast i was a guest on a podcast based in norway and we were having this conversation about how depression and self-confidence and concepts like these are always put in a social context 
And I said, in countries like Scandinavia, it's much harder to feel as isolating or as isolated as it is in the United States. Isolation is such a big factor in people being depressed because we're social creatures. We need to co-regulate with other people. So my point I made to them is that on the one hand, there's a big, it's very hard to be kicked out in the street in a Scandinavian country. You have to work really, really, really hard to get cut off by the government. And so you don't have quite the same worries you would have here in the United States, where I just went to the grocery store. It cost me 70 bucks just to get a few things. And I, it's not like caviar, it's basic groceries. So well, the main point I'm driving at is things like depression and social anxiety. They don't exist in cultures like in some African cultures where there's a whole tribe constantly surrounding each other and caring for everybody. No one's really isolated. So what would you say to someone who says, yeah, this NLP stuff is great. I see how it applies, but you're missing the social context that around which or inside of which all of these psychological challenges take place? Well, that's a big question. Um, I, I would say that there's two things that would probably solve most people's depression. And that is definitely more socializing, but not just like throwing yourself out there socially. That, that can be really awkward for a long time. And then it's hard to make good friends, especially men after 30. Um, like there's something crazy, like 70% of men after 30 don't uh, make a best friend after the age of 30. They only revert to their old friends. But, I, you know, so much of depression could be cleared up just by people having regular friends or family to connect with and exercise. Like if you got if you took a, all the depressed people in the world or let's say just in the U.S. because you're focusing it on the U.S. and you just had them do those two things, you would probably clear up 50 percent or more of depression. Now, that wouldn't have been I, I, I experienced depression twice. And I can tell you those things would not have worked because I was exercising. Um, I did have a, a good family. And what I felt was I was completely hopeless. I felt like I was a loser, a failure. And I felt like I had to earn my worth and my value. I understand. And that's a no-win proposition. Like when you try to build your worth, you're trying to build, you're building that illusion even stronger. And so it just keeps you trapped there. And then how do you, how are you uh, measuring this? Well, you're comparing yourself to everybody, which will never do any good for you. And so that's the only way you can try to like figure out what your worth is. And so you're constantly comparing yourself to people and you might get a little boost in your self-esteem when you compare yourself to someone you perceive as being less than you. Like I could walk around and see homeless people and go, well, at least I'm not like that. But inevitably I'm gonna in encounter someone who I perceive as being better than me. And as soon as I do that, then I feel this big. So, uh, I think there is, there are, there are definitely, when you believe you are the qualities, the, the, and when I say qualities, I mean that that can be negative or positive. When you believe you, let, let's say it this way, when you don't believe you are the qualities that you value, and that goes on for long enough, yeah, that, that's a quick way to end up in depression and for long term, like years. Okay. I can buy into that. And again, you talk about comparing yourself to other people. 
But what about all this stuff about vision boarding and having a future image that you work towards being? Aren't you doing some comparison comparison then? You're comparing the life you have now with the life that you're wishing for. And in a sense, that can be motivating. But isn't that a form of comparison where you're, some days you can wake, wake up and go, fuck. Well, with the way I'm dreaming of my life really sucks. Yeah. Well, okay. So I'll address that in a moment. But what I did say was comparing yourself to other people. So, I understand. Yeah, so I got that. Now right. I'm talking about comparing yourself to the life that you want to have and the person that you can see yourself becoming. Right. So remember, we talked a little bit about this and you wrote this off really fast. And I was like, so part of me agreed with you because when I was taught the swish pattern, and probably the same way that you were taught this. People pattern. don't know what that is. So you need to tell where this well, is not NLP. You'd be amazed at how many people know what it is who don't okay. even know NLP. They may have heard of NLP. And they'll, that's the first thing they think of is a swish pattern. Some of my most viewed videos are swish pattern videos. I do one every few years just because I know I'll get a bunch of views. And so most people are taught this pattern incorrectly. And the reason why it's so popular is because it's a very simple pattern. And Tony Robbins used it a lot uh, early on, but he, even he was teaching it wrong. There's an old videos of Tony Robbins teaching it. So it's this idea of you take something that's a compulsion, like a habit, something that's getting in the way of you doing what you want to do. So let's say you want to you know, make those cold calls that you're supposed to make and you keep procrastinating and it feels compulsive. Like next thing you know, you've been playing video games or binging on Netflix for a few hours, right? So you want to break that habit and do something better. So what we do is we find, well, what is that image, that, that trigger image that makes you go into the compulsion? And that's usually going to be very associated, like your point of view perspective, like you see it. And what we do is we break that pattern by swishing an ideal image of yourself. Now, the difference here that most people are not taught this way is this ideal image needs to be without you doing any particular behavior and without any particular context. And this way, it can generalize to any situation, and to any behavior. And so, and people push back on that. And they're like, no, I was taught this way. And I was like, you were taught wrong. If you have a smoker and smoking is the compulsion, and then that uh, person says, you know, the teacher or the coach says, well, what would you rather do than smoke? And they say, I'd rather go to the gym. Okay. And then they swish that image of them going to the gym. Well, what happens when, when they wake up at three in the morning and they want a cigarette? Right. Going to the gym. The gym's no. not available. So right. what happens? They go to the next best thing, the cigarette. Cigarette. Right. So when you make an ideal image of yourself and you see that out in front of you, now I, I mean ideal, like this is the you who has solved every one of your problems and is living your highest ideals and values. And this takes some time because to try to make an image of that without any behavior, without any context, it's a little more challenging than what it might sound like. And so you you focus on that and you do that and you feel this really strong connection to that you who is doing it. And it's out here. It's not the law of assumption and uh, law of attraction and all that. They tell you to step into it. Well, if you step into it, you just delude yourself and you're fantasizing. You think, well, I'm already there. So there's no motivation. But when you put that out in front of you instead and you're disassociated and you see that you, what happens is it gets even stronger when it goes unconscious. This is far better than a vision board. I tried vision boards and never worked for me. Never worked for me. Yeah. Oh, but, press stop. Press pause. <laughs> they never fucking worked for no. me. But my friend Michelle, who makes more money than I do and is dating someone who's close to being her ideal guy, swears by vision boards. Swears I, by them. I think it can happen. I think it can work for some people. But like, think about why does that not work so well? 
you're printing two-dimensional images off the internet or you're cutting them out of magazines or whatever. Uh, there's nothing dynamic about them. They're two-dimensional, they're flat, and you get bored with them. And how often do you actually look at your vision board? It usually, after a while, just sits in the corner of your bedroom and you don't see it anymore, right? Right. They bore the fuck out of me because you would say there's no such thing as ADDHD, but I'm, I have plenty of attention. It just goes all over the place. I want to, you know, these stories that we're talking about, the swish pattern brings something up. I heard Richard, Richard Bandler, who's, was my mentor, your mentor, I think is uh, John Grinder, who's the- Steve, Steve Andreas. Steve Andreas. Okay. It was Bandler, Grinder, Delosier, and then a guy named Frank Per Selick or something Pusilic. like that. He, he was huh? the fifth, Frank Puselik. He was the fifth Beatle of NLP. Yeah, and they pretty much buried him in a blanket of amnesia and a cloud of smoke. But I heard Richard challenge a seminar. He said, client walks into your office and says, I have a phobia of making images. What do you do? <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Now, for those of you out in the audience, the majority of you are not Nelpers. You probably wouldn't get that joke. But I, I thought that was absolutely hysterically funny. What do you think are the... And again, I want to switch back in a minute to applications for persuasions and influence. But this is a real treat for me because I seldom get to talk to someone who's on an equal level of understanding of, of NLPing and the rest of it. What do you think are the limits of NLP, where NLP just falls down and, and cannot address a particular set of problems? I, I personally think personality disorders are real. I've dated a couple of narcissists. Now my body is at the point where when I meet someone who turns out later to be a narcissist, the minute I meet them, within two or three minutes, I get nauseous. My unconscious mind has set up some kind of, some kind of signal to warn me. I get nauseous. Do you believe that narcissist, narcissists and sociopaths actually exist? And oh, if so, yeah. can NLP do anything for those people if they want to be helped? Because uh, I, I don't think anything short of what I worked with, dialectical behavior therapy, can work for for those people. So just out of curiosity, the people you dated, how many personalities have you dated in one person? That's pretty funny. <laughs> That's when Richard said he went by a Scientology center. They said, would you like to take a personality test? And he said, just one? <laughs> just one of my personalities? <laughs> yeah. So to answer your question, I absolutely believe that there are sociopaths and narcissists. I've encountered uh, a few of them from time to time. And the problem is, I'm going to answer this question uh, the way my uh, mentor answered it when he was asked, um, because uh, otherwise I would feel like I'm just stealing from him. And that is the problem with a narcissist is a narcissist doesn't believe there's anything wrong with him or her. Correct. They think the rest of the, the world is wrong. So good luck getting one in your office who's willing to do the work. I mean, that's that. I think that's the main problem. Can they? Can they? Can they be changed? I think so. I just think it's part of change, though, is wanting to change. And a, and a narcissist, again, they they think they're perfect, so they don't, you know, they don't have any motivation to change, and that's really the problem. That's the old joke. How many narcissists does it take to change a light, uh, screw in a light bulb? Hmm. Just one. The narcissist holds still, and the rest of the world revolves around him. <laughs> yeah. 
No, that's, that captures it very well. Okay. So let's ask some of the questions you put down for me to ask you. Why do we want anything? Well, isn't wanting part of the human condition? Why do we want anything? Is that a question I asked you to ask me? Mm-hmm. Suggested any of your questions. Why do we want anything? But we can skip it. Well, uh, let me let me think about it. I'm to, let me try to step into myself. Why would I have asked you to ask me? I don't that? know. Why do we want anything? We want things because we feel unfulfilled. Now I think I probably understand it better. Okay. We feel unfulfilled and that un that lack of fulfillment comes from uh, potential within us that's not being tapped. And, and it's not to say that we should be going after all of our potential because there's endless amounts of potential in each one of us. Just like I said before, you know, not everybody can, but not everybody will. And so I really think that uh, desire is rooted in that desire to fulfill something. And it's that, that potential. And so, like I said, there's endless things we could go after, but I, I think we need to find something that really does it for us and that really fulfills us. And at the same time, that can change. Like I surfed for a while and for a while surfing was just like so amazing. And then after a while, I just kind of left. And we gotta have to understand that that, you know, it's not the thing that is giving us the feeling. It's us, come. it's coming from us, you know? So um, sometimes we do lose interest in things and we have to move on and, and, and find uh, what that is. And that is a constant state of, adventure and excitement and it, it can be all those things but a lot of people try to settle too fast and try to get you know like well i just want to rest i don't i don't want to try to fulfill potential but it's like it's it's really in our nature to do that and so when we stop doing that we stop being fulfilled uh we often turn to like drugs or alcohol or some sort of uh distraction and so we stop distracting ourselves and then we can feel that want and then we start following it we don't know where it's going to take us um but to me, that's what life is all about. And uh, usually by the time I get people coming to me uh, for help, it's really what they want. They think they want something else. They think they want to make more money and all these other things, which is fine. And we can do that. But it's uh, it's about something deeper. Let's talk about the juicy part of NLP, the juicy part of neurolinguistic programming, which is manipulation. <laughs> getting people to do things that we want them to do yes. many so many people view sales as manipulation they come to me and they say you're teaching salespeople to get into the subconscious unconscious mind of their prospects and manipulate them and i say yes thank you very much that indeed is what i'm doing so is influence and persuasion do they intersect with manipulating and is manipulating a bad thing I don't think it is. We had such a good conversation about this on the video that we did together. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I don't want to just repeat that. And I want to move, you know, try to take it up a notch. Cause uh, I, and then we, we got a lot of comments on that. I don't know if you saw that or even Jurgen was like, man, this was on fire. I haven't seen Ross talk like that, you know, in, in years. And uh, so you're great. You're a great interviewer, man. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I mean, it, it has a lot to do with being interested in the topic and it being interested in the person uh, you're interviewing. So uh, that hit a 10 for me on both of those. Um, I think it, I guess it just depends on how you define manipulation. You know, I, I think uh, if we really look at it as a pure definition of what it is, it's pretty amoral. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have really a negative or a positive connotation. Um, but 
I think we also have to remember too, uh, a presupposition I like to keep in mind all the time from that comes from NLP is the, the meaning of a communication is the response it gets. So if I use the word manipulation and people just go, oh, you know, so it's like, well, I'm going to use a different word. Um, I'm, either that or I'm going to try to explain why I think manipulation is not a bad thing because we're doing it all the time, right? And if you've if you ever had kids, wow, kids are manipulators, wow. man. They are just hardwired for that. And you got to think like if we're so naturally hardwired to be like that, how bad can it be? You know, it's I like, never thought about that, but that's true. I love that we're hardwired. Someone come back and say we're hardwired to kill, uh, but we're not. As a matter of fact, we're not. Well, one study showed that only about twenty five percent of soldiers actually fire their weapons so strong is the hardwiring not to kill another human being i agree it's we're hardwired not to um i don't think that's natural at all I, maybe for you know people who are mentally messed up like biologically messed up not just have weird thoughts or whatever um but yeah i so i, I don't see anything wrong with manipulation and a lot of my education around that came from your early stuff from you know the 90s and well, let's unpack that and get personal. What do you mean by well, that? Well, it helped, it helped me understand manipulation in a different way because I would have felt the same mm -hmm. way. Like, I don't, well, yeah, I don't want to manipulate anyone, but it's like, like we talked about the nice guy thing and you're like, I'm not a nice guy. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a, an accommodator, I think is what you, what you said. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm pleasant to be around and I like doing nice things for people. You're like, and so I think that's the the big the, the big misunderstanding, like, so the nice guy is manipulating, right? He's trying to be nice to, to get into a woman's pants. Right. And it's like, no, that, you know, like, if you're doing that, then why don't you do something better and really get into her head and help her uh, connect with those uh, visions that she has of an exciting life. And, and, and of course, sex as well. Women are far more uh, interesting. Their fantasies are far more interesting, far more dark, far more dramatic. I heard a guy, a dating coach one time say that most women don't think that men can actually handle what they're really uh, fantasizing <laughs> about, what they're really thinking. And so they don't, really? say, they don't say it. And the truth is, is that most men can't handle it. And I took that and I was like, I'm going to take that challenge. And I got to say, I'm not going to talk about these things on air because no, no. my wife might hear them. No. But I came face to face with exactly that. I was like, I want to see how far this rabbit hole goes. And here's the thing. That people ask me, what is my most seductive tool in, uh, when I was doing seduction, when I was doing pickup on a regular basis? And I said, if you can let that woman know that you're not going to judge her, no matter how crazy her fantasies are, you just opened up a door. You open up a door. When a woman feels that, like, I can do anything with this guy and he's not going to judge me, wow, man, you just, you open up something bigger than you probably can understand. And I did that and I got to a point where it was like, and it wasn't about judgment. It was just, I can't take this. I can't take this. These women are too far off. But like, you unleash something in women when you show them that because they've never experienced it. And for most of them have never experienced a guy who will not judge them and just be and just embrace whatever their whatever their crazy sexual stuff is that they want to fulfill. And now we're, we're getting into the now we're getting into the <laughs> see folks on the influencers edge. We can talk about whatever the fuck we want. We've had CIA agents, FBI case handlers, brainwashers. I want to talk to someone who's been on a UFO. 
I'll talk to anybody <laughs> at some point. By the way, I believe in that stuff. I actually had a close encounter when I was about eight or nine years old. I don't know if we've ever talked about that. I would love to have that memory explored a little bit further. If there is one thing, one lesson that you've learned in all your years of influencing people and healing people that you could convey to your teenage self, some bit of wisdom that you had picked up along your road, your journey of being a healer and an influencer, and I hate the word coach, but trainer, what's the one bit of wisdom? Just, well, I'm sure you have more than one, but what's one that stands out that you would tell your younger self? Could I tell you what has worked for me? And then also yes. tell you what I would go back and tell myself. Yes. Okay, so hands down, the uh, most valuable quality I have and has the value that has served me throughout life was is, is persistence. If you, you know, when I was depressed, I was like, I'm, I'm going to get better. I'm not going to sit here. I'm going to get better. Hey, when I, when I came across your stuff for the first time, what get, what led me to you was I'm going to figure this out with women. There's so much pain that I'm experiencing right now because I can't have the women I want. I am going to figure this out. And thankfully I ran into you, someone who had already figured it out. So all I had to do was just learn your stuff and it worked. And so persistence over and over again, whenever my insurance business was failing and I was miserable because I hated insurance and I, I hated all parts of the business didn't work for me. I still persisted with my values that I was going to be a success. And I didn't realize though, my success was going to lead me out of the insurance business and into a different business. So true. Persistence, persistence with your values. Don't persist on a goal. If it's not fulfilling you quit it. Don't persist with a strategy. If it's not fulfilling you persist with your values, you give up on your values, you give it up on life. So if you persist with your values, the landscape will change, the people will change, the goals will change, the strategies will change, but you will eventually find fulfillment. So that is what has saved me. What I would go back and tell myself is to fucking relax. It's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. You know, I was so uptight and so high strung for so long that that's for sure. That's what hard for me to believe. You, you struck me when we met as one of the most low key, laid back, comfortable in your physical body people who person that i've ever met so congratulations a lot of work a lot, of work a lot of work on myself me well me too and i and i agree with you about persistence the way i put it is i hate quitting i hate quitting more than i hate physical pain more than i hate potentially being embarrassed in public i just hate quitting i hate it i hate it i hate it i hate it i hate quitting uh it's just wired into me i think because i'm part of uh, eastern european jewish stock and we're just survivors and we don't we don't quit if we quit we die so oh paul stop the hate and start loving the persistence oh no i'm just i, I do love the persistence i do i do love the persistence i just forward yeah. instead of away from come on hey a propulsion system does both it That's moves true. you away from one and it pulls you towards the other all right well you've been an amazing guest we have burned through wow ready are we done already we usually go about 30 minutes we've done 40 but um so we've reached we can definitely do another episode if you're willing to come back for sure and i and i want to do another video with you uh this the last one we did uh really good response to it it might not be an interview style and might be more let's let's talk about that off the air sure 
Okay. All right. This has been another episode of the Influencers Edge, but we're not done with Damon. Damon, people want to stay in the conversation with you. How do they stay in the conversation with you? If you just search Damon Card on YouTube, I'm very easy to find. If you even search NLP on YouTube, usually my videos are the first to pop up. Um, so they're more than anywhere else. But of course, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, and at the self-concept, at selfconcept.com, if you want to see some of the deeper work that we do, we have an assessment there. If you want to get started on the journey of transformation at the identity level, uh, that's probably the best place to start. All right, Damon, thanks for being here. Everybody, we'll see you on the next episode of The Influencer's Edge. Catch you then. Thank you for having me. The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Rapid Sales Accelerator. If you're ready to skyrocket your sales by 30% or more in just 90 days, then you need to claim your free training right now. You'll learn four words that will compel your prospects to trust you like they were children within the first three to five minutes of any conversation across any platform and any medium. You'll learn how to give your prospects objection amnesia to crush objections like I need to talk to my spouse or I need more time to think it over or it's too expensive. And finally, you'll get a free recorded audio training that will install unbelievable attitudes for success and wipe out any limiting beliefs. So if you'd like to claim your free training now, go to www.paulrossbook.com. Do it before your competition does it now. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back. Tune in and enjoy today's episode.